Thanks, Teresa. Well, welcome to Uni Church. Uh, my name's Rowan, if you don't know me. Uh, I always say that. It's, my name's Rowan, if you do know me. Uh, I'll say that as well. Uh, so great to have you here as we're getting together. I'm really excited about the, uh, the Uni Church conference. Um, when Ben started, I was like, yeah. I was like, what's it going to be? And I knew that was coming. There was part of me that wanted to yell out, baby gal, right? I was like, surely. And then he's like, there's going to be a picture. And I'm like, it is, it is. And it was like, even better. You need church conference, right? Yeah. Well, maybe one day. I don't know. You can talk to me about that, Ben Nash, later. Um, uh, the, the dates, uh, can someone yell out those dates? 24th to the 25th to the 29th. I've got it in my phone. 25th to the 29th of June. Sorry, they flashed up. That's how exclusive it is. If you miss them, you can't come. No. Uh, 25th to 29th of June. It should be a really good time away of getting into God's Word in a deep way. Uh, we, we, we're planning on blowing people's brains, on helping people to understand God and His Word more and, and getting together. It'll be fun time. So book in your annual leave. Uh, make sure all your assignments are done. Hey, start them now. Even if you don't know what they are, just start. Uh, so that you can be done in time for the Uni Church Conference. Friends, one of the great privileges of sitting under the Word of God is we let God speak to us. As Ben prayed uh, and as we read, we're hearing uh, what Ben prayed about exactly, that God is speaking to us through His Word. And tonight, this passage seems, I think, to be saying something extraordinarily important. As we look through what God has to say to us, it's going to shape really what will last forever. I think this is the most important concept that we come across in this whole series throughout uh, what is the role of spiritual gifts and how do they work and what is, this, what is going on here. So tonight is the night. Tonight is the night to ask God to change us. So why don't we do that? Let's pray. Lord, as we have heard your word, so we've heard what, what Paul said to this church in Corinth and, and to us now today, We ask that we would see the world with the values and importances that you see the world. You'd help us to see ourselves and what we consider to be right and good in the same way that you see those things. We pray that tonight that your word would shape us, would excite us, would comfort us, would would, would challenge us and would send us out into your world with a renewed picture of living your way because of how great you are. We pray that by your Spirit and in this word tonight, for each and every person in this room, that you change us and make us more like your Son. Speak to us, we pray. Amen. What is it that makes someone great? What is it that makes someone great? Uh, You think about your friends or a colleague or your mom, your dad. What is it that makes someone great? Your hero. What is it that makes them great? If you watch The Incredibles, you know it's not the cape. No capes, right? It's capes, they always die. They get caught in planes. What is it that makes us great? As I think through the human uh, condition, I think most of us, kind of like greatness. We all aspire to be great in some way. Like no one gets up and goes, you know what, today I'm going to be lower than average. I'm excited about that. You know, I just want to be, I want to be the bottom. I want to be the worst. I could be great at being bad, maybe. I don't know. No, we get up and we actually go, we want to do the best we can. We want to be the best we can, whether that's a mom or a dad, 
a great sister or brother, a great friend, uh, a great Christian, a great student, a great church, a great person. And who doesn't want to be a great person? But what is it that makes someone great? So often when we think of greatness, I think we think about giftedness. You think about the great soccer player. What makes them great? Well, it's the way they can do all those cool tricks. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But also the way they can, they can swing a ball into the corner of a net just every time. You're just like, man, and that's why clubs pay them astronomical amounts of money. Because they can kick a round thing into a goal. Hey, better than anyone else can. And that kind of makes those soccer players great. What, what makes a great mum? So many women aspire to be a great mum someday. You know, what is a great mum? Is it that mum that's the baby whisperer? You know, the baby's crying, they come up, they pick it up, and she goes, zhoo, it's a happy face. It's kind of like the smell goes away. This, that's all good. And you're like, and at the same time, the baby's happy and they're like cooking three course meals. It's kind of our picture of what a great mum is. And they're, they're kind of hosting family and friends in the house. They're calm at all times. What makes... A great student. Is it the ability to kind of understand everything the lecturer says, even when they're just mumbling up the front, moving their thing along, and you've got no idea, and they kind of, they get it? You're like, I don't even hear what they said. There was something on, but this, this person who's sitting next to you, they just get it so quickly. I was a guy with, who was in my year at, um, at Bible college, and it just used to frustrate me to no end, because he just got stuff so quickly. We were learning Hebrew, and the first time I've looked at it, first time he's looked at it, and I'm looking on the page going, hey, a chicken's walked across here. That's what it looks like. There's all these chicken scratchings on the page. There's dots and kind of, I'm like, what is that? That's not like writing. And I opened up the kind of Bible, started at the wrong end, was going from the wrong side. It was all over the shop, right? And then they're kind of speaking through these kind of different conjugations of these things, and he writes it down once, and he remembers it. And, and I'm like, how do you do? I'm writing it down in the library, kind of once, once, once a day, kind of writing down these conjugations. Um, and, and he just gets it. I'm like, man, it's, it seems like giftedness makes the great student. They get great marks. They excel. But as Paul writes to this letter in Corinth, we've got to remember they were the gifted church. They had every spiritual gift, remember? Chapter 1. Uh, they had prophets. They had miracle workers. They had healers. They had tongue speakers. They had everything. And this church had every spiritual gift. Like they were kind of like the, the poster board of gifted churches. <laughs> it was all there, everything you could ever want. And you'd be like, wow, this is the gifted church. But as we look through the letter, we find out they were not great. Giftedness did not make them great. In fact, there was all sorts of problems. <laughs> one wanted to sleep with his kind of stepmother. Uh, others, that they're suing one another, and Christian brothers and sisters in the church, that they're kind of having the Lord's Supper, and they're, not, they're going, well, the Lord's Supper is just about me feeding my gut, so I'm just going to rock up and take it all before anyone else gets to go. Can you imagine that? We're the gifted church, but we're going to have Lord's Supper tonight, and in the Lord's Supper, you know what we'll do? We'll just, I'll just take it all at the start when they pass that plate round. Drink it all. We'll be like, ha, ha. Kind of, you know, I'll burp to the glory of God, because I'm free. There were significant issues in the gifted church because they were not great. They had a major deficiency. And that deficiency was love. That deficiency was love. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1. If I speak in human or angelic languages, but do not have love, I'm a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but didn't have love, I am nothing. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, if I give my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Gifts minus love equals nothing. Gifts minus love equals nothing. And that's our first point tonight. Without love, you do nothing, you gain nothing, and you are nothing. Do you see those, those, those bits? Flick up the first verse back up there again. If I speak in human or angelic languages but do not have love, I, I'm, I'm a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. What's that saying? It's saying that the gifts that you have, having being able to speak in angelic languages, it's, it's just no good unless it's used in love. Have you ever heard a clanging cymbal? I was going to bring one, but didn't. But I'll just, I'll just do the sound effects myself. This is, kind of, this is what it's like, right? It's like someone who's like, I am the best at this speaking language. I have the best gifts ever. But if they don't love, all everyone hears is like, bang, bang. Every time they speak and use their gifts, it's like they're trying to do it the best they can because they're gifted, but they've got love. So it's just like, bang, bang, bang. It's like, bang, bang. It's annoying, isn't it? Do you feel built up and encouraged? (laughs) That's what he is saying. Without love, the gifts you have do nothing. I'm not going to make the noise again. (laughs) Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy, I understand all mysteries. And I have all knowledge. And if I have the faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If you aren't loving others, not only are you not using your gifts well, but you are nothing. You are nothing. That's what he's saying. A bit harsh, but, but you could have all the gifts in the world. You could, you could have all the knowledge to unravel all the mysteries of, of God. You could have so much faith that you could say, Mount Cook, move to Mount Eden, and it would. Right? That's how much faith that he's talking about. This gift here is. And he says, but if you have no love, that gift will actually you are nothing. He's pretty strong here. In the next one, in verse, in verse 3, if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, you're like, man, that's surely generous. Like that is a good gift. Surely that's for the good of others. But have not love then you are nothing. You could be happy to burn at the stake for Jesus. But without love, that does nothing, it gains nothing, you are nothing. It's sad but true that throughout Christian history, there have been great missionaries who seemingly did great things for God, went to great countries and great lengths and great sacrifice for the sake of the gospel, but did not love their wives. God says, you are nothing. You have not had love. You have not fulfilled your responsibilities here. I heard of one missionary that kept his wife locked in a cupboard. I don't know what's going on there, but it's not good. Right? He hadn't seen Harry Potter yet. You know? so, without love, we are literally nobodies. Gifts without love 
are no good at all. It's not like we can go, look, if you've got some gifts, at least you're halfway there. Right? You've got the gifts, now you just got to work on the love. It's like, no, it's not like that at all. You can have half the gifts, you can have all the gifts, but without love, you are nothing. It's like, here's the equation. Anything without love, minus love, equals nothing. Anything minus love equals nothing. Now, all you maths nerds are going to go, it doesn't always work, because... Right, you're going to tell me the problem with that. So I, I want to change it a little bit to make it a little bit more helpful. And you can, don't spend the rest of tonight working out a better equation. But I think here's one that works better. Um, uh, gifts times love equals worth. How's that? Gifts times love equals worth or, or, or value. <laughs> so you could have, gifts could be like positive infinity. You know, it was make it big. Or positive two times infinity, because you can do that, right? <laughs> you can, it's true. Um, okay, so positive two times infinity is gifts. You have all the you could be like you could be like the Corinthian church. Times zero love is what? Yeah. Nothing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the encouragement. <laughs> Mass isn't always the strongest suit for me. That's why I married an accountant. She's great. We've got to think through this reality that Paul is putting for us. We've got to get it clear into our minds because it's just not the way the world works. We think giftedness means worth. But here God says, giftedness without love is nothing. Uh, in chapter 12, verse 31, Paul finished the last section of this letter talking about the church as a body and the different gifts that the church has. And he finished it like this. It's on the screen. But desire the greater gifts and I'll show you an even better way. What is that? What are the greater gifts? What is the better way? Well, the better way is being not focused on what gifts I have or how much of those gifts I have, but the way those gifts are used for the good of others, i.e. love. The greater way that we are to use the gifts and desire the gifts is, is the way to desire the gifts that will love others, that will build others up. And we're going to see more of that over the next two weeks. So look at chapter 14 and all craziness breaks loose. <laughs> we'll be looking at what that actually means in the next two weeks. Love is the way we are to live. But what does that love look like? What does love look like? There's so many definitions of love in the world. Uh, people think, you know, love is so many things. That love is this kind of romantic relationship with someone that we see in, in Hollywood. Or love is the, um, you know, the way that you feel about ice cream, right? I love it. It's great. There are so many different ways that we think about love. But here, Paul, he doesn't define love. He describes it. He describes what love looks like. So I want to spend some time just kind of unpacking these, uh, these few verses here. For us to slow down and, and just think. Because we've heard this passage before, I'm sure. If you've been to a wedding. Who's heard this passage at a wedding? Show of hands. Yeah, right. Say love is patient, love is kind. Oh, it's not envy, it's not boast, it's not rude, you're like, blah, blah, blah. It's so easy to get like that. I don't know, maybe, maybe you, you're far more impacted by this uh, and actually slow down and have a look. But tonight, that's what I want us to do. Slow down and let this not be a blah, 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 yeah, yeah, wedding verses. But actually, this is what should describe me. Love is patient. Literally, it is long-suffering. Right? That's, I think, when I think of that, I think of Sarah, because she puts up with me for 16 years. That's long-suffering, right? right? As part, she's, she's stuck in there uh, for all my ups and downs. She's stayed alongside me. 
Uh, if you think about the way God has acted towards us, He is long-suffering. How many times have we wronged Him? Have we not treated Him as the God who made us? And yet, He still loves us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you and me. God is long-suffering. And so the temptation for us as people who, who have these gifts is to use them without being patient, without being long-suffering. You know, that moment that someone says something and you just want to turn to them and say, oh, shut up. I did it jokingly to Ryan tonight. Sorry, brother. It was a, was a, was a joke, but that's how Australians show love. But No, not really. We should be, we should be long-suffering. Uh, he didn't say anything bad. It was, it was me. <laughs> the moment we want to snap, the moment we want to just kind of lash out at someone else, we must think, no, greatness is not found in my gifts, but in my love, in my patience. Living the life of love means you need to put to death the idea that life's going to be easy. I'm going to get through life without too many trials and bumps, that, you know, there's going to be no issues along the way, that I won't have to wait, that I won't have to put up with others who fail. We've got to put to death that idea. Life will not be trouble-free. Love is patient. Love is kind. Kindness, I don't know, kindness is a bit of an odd word. What does kind mean? When I think of kind, I think of puppy dogs and kittens. I don't know why. <laughs> Videos brainwashed me. It's, it's all I can think of. But kindness is, is more than just puppy dogs and kittens, isn't it? Kindness is, is thinking about the good of another. Of treating another in a, in a generous and loving way. Uh, I read a review of a book recently. Best way to read books, P.S. Anyway, read the review. Um, I, I read a review of a book. that The book was titled Love Works. Uh, and it's, it's by a business guy who's a Christian. And basically, he's applied the principles of 1 Corinthians 13 of what love is to business. And lots of people come along in business and they go, look, you, you can't have a successful business and, and actually love everyone in it and those around you. Like it's a cutthroat world out there. You've got to live in a cutthroat way. You've got to, you've got to strive for the, for the sale. You've got to strive for the win. But his argument is, no, no, business goes far better when we think through how we love. And so the way that he talks about it in this book, and his business has gone gangbusters, is actually to think through the way he speaks to his employees, rather than merely kind of review the employees in his, his big company on their output, how much profit they returned. He also rates them by asking all of their other employees, the co-employees that are around, the co-workers, to, to rate that worker on how loving they are, on how kind they have been, on how patient they have been. How's that? <laughs> you get rated on your kindness. You get a kindness level uh, in this business. And he's saying what he's actually doing is promoting those that express love because love in business actually returns outputs and actually is caring and the way we should work for the good of society. Not only can you love others and make money, his claim is that loving others is vital for the success of any business. Love is kind. It thinks through the good of the other. It's not envious. Envy is so kind of ugly. <laughs> Jealousy is this idea that, oh, I wish what they had. Envy is saying, oh, I wish they didn't have what they have. I wish that was taken away from them so they know how I feel. I want all the good things they have, the gifts, the ability. I don't want them to, to go. That's what I wish on that person because I'm envious of them. See how ugly and festy it is. And so often we think that. Whether that be that person in the class that just is able to get stuff so quickly, 
or they're kind of they're good with words, or they, they think quickly, or they they're just kind of disciplined and get up all the time. Well, they're not disciplined. I don't know what it is. It might be envious. And you're like, ah, I wish they failed. <laughs> That'll teach them. And the context Paul is writing in here is to a church where some in the church are wanting to ban these gifts. You can't have them. Tongues shouldn't happen at all. That shouldn't be the case. And others are saying, gifts are all there are. Like, let's just go. We need gifts. We need more and more of this. So Paul says, love here is not envious. Do not be envious of the way God has gifted others. At the same time, he says, do not be boastful. Love is not boastful. It doesn't say, look at the gifts I've been given. How awesome am I? It doesn't stand and say, look at how great I am. (laughs) Love does not boast in itself. Uh, It's not conceited. It doesn't act improperly. That acting improperly is kind of uh, the same idea that's used in um, chapter 7, 36, if you want to write it down, look it up later, uh, where a man provokes a woman's affections and then refuses to marry her. He leads her on and says, you know, he kind of provokes, he flirts with her, and then he's like, oh no, but I don't want to marry you. No. He's saying, love does not act improperly. It doesn't lead people on in business, in friendship, in love. It doesn't kind of trick people and do the bait and switch. Love is just honest. It's just real. It's not selfish. You notice that sometimes we love because of what loving brings us. We love someone because I get real enjoyment from this relationship. There's nothing wrong with getting enjoyment from a relationship, but love is selfless. It's not selfish. It's not about what I can get, but how I can give. Imagine living that way with our family, with our friends, with those around us. How different we would look from the rest of the world. Love is not provoked. When I read that, the first thought that came to my mind was just like a little kid. You know, have you ever been around a kid when you catch them doing something wrong? In our family, that happens often because they're more like me than Sarah. And, and they're kind of doing wrong stuff. And you're like, why did you do that? And the first thing they say is, he made me. I'm like, how did he make you hit him? He looked at me funny. How did that make your fist come across and hit it? Well, he looked at me. And he's like, well, he crossed over onto my side of the room. So I, I looked at him. And everything is like all about being provoked. They provoked me. It's as if if someone provokes you, that it's okay not to love them. Now, as adults, I think we're absolutely no different at all. Think about the first sin in the world. Adam and Eve. God goes to Adam and says, what is this you have done? What does he say? She made me do it. She made me do it. She, she took the, the fruit and, and kind of ate some and put it in front of my face. It's all her. She provoked me from doing it. And so I snapped. I did it. I gave in. I couldn't help it. Eve, what have you done? Snake made me do it. How often when we fall down and we fail to love someone else, do we go, well, they didn't act properly to me. They, they, didn't, they didn't love me in those ways. Like, when did they ever call me up and ask how I was going, but this time that I might have hurt them? Well, they, they provoked me to it. How often do you find yourself thinking that way? Oh, far out. That person, they're just always whinging about themselves. They deserve what I gave them. And we kind of justify in ourselves, love is not easily provoked. Do you get angry quickly? Do you allow others to provoke you quickly, to touch those touch points and you get grumpy and... Do others feel like they're walking on ice around you? That you're an easily provoked person? 
that you'll snap real quickly. Love is not easily provoked. It, it keeps no record of wrongs. I think this is so helpful. Love is not an endless discussion about what is wrong with this church, this person, this course, this job. So often we keep a record of all the things that are wrong with others. You did this, you did that, this happened, that happened. Uh, with friendships. Uh, and it's like we keep a record of the wrongs they've committed and then we compare it to the record of rights that I've done. So let's, let's count all the good things that I've done. I've done this good, I've done that good, I've done that good, but you've done all those wrong things. We're not, we're not comparing apples with apples there. <laughs> we're not talking about all the wrong things that I've done. We're like, ah, oh, how dare you do those wrong things. And we keep this record of wrongs. I tell you, that kills marriages. That kills marriages. Phrases like, you always speak like that. Typical, just the way I thought you would have acted here. Ah, just like last time when you were late, and the time before, and the time before, and the time before, you lazy slob. (laughs) And I was just talking to the dog. (laughs) So often we count the good we do, but the failures others make. But think about Jesus. He's so different from that. He always does good. His, his kind of account of all the good that he does is infinity to the power of infinity, whatever that is. I don't know. It's just, he's, he's perfect. He's got every right in the world to count the wrongs that we do, but he doesn't. He doesn't hold them against us. He willingly dies for them. He forgives us our wrongs, even when he has been perfect. He doesn't keep score on our sins. So why on earth do we think we can keep score on others' sins when we know we aren't even perfect ourselves? Jesus doesn't do it, and he is perfect, but we're not perfect, but we're still like, ah, but you did these five things wrong to me. We need to stop and train ourselves to stop and not keep a record of all the wrongs that others do. Love does not do that. It is generous. It is loving. It is caring. Now, I'm not saying that it's stupid, like, we don't, you know, if someone borrows money from us and they never pay us back, we don't go, okay, uh, I'll just keep getting, lending you money. Oh, you know, can I, can I have $1,000? Yeah, sure. You know, don't pay that back. Oh, can I have $2,000? Okay. I'll keep no record of wrongs. No, what, what love is saying is, uh, I'm recognizing that it may not be loving for me to lend you this money again because you didn't pay back what was there last time. I've forgiven you for last time. Let's call it clean. But I actually want to help you to own, you actually need to work out how you can earn money yourself. Let me work through that with you. It's not holding the wrong that they've done before against them. It's forgiving them. It's bearing the cost yourself at the same time as being true to the reality of what goes on. Love has no joy in unrighteousness. No joy in unrighteousness. How often I find myself laughing or watching or standing on the sidelines as people do things that really aren't right. I'm not doing it. (laughs) I remember... um, (laughs) I was at a Bucks party. Uh, it was a while ago. I was in Australia. Uh, Australia's not much rain, unlike Auckland. So it's very dry. And at the Bucks party, one of the guys brought along like a marine flare. They're pretty cool. Right? If you've ever seen a marine flare, you can let them off and they get up into the sky. And it's massive bright light and this flame kind of comes down. They're meant for water. But if they land in the bush, it can catch fire and it's not great. Uh, we're at this Bucks party and um, these guys w- w- were there and were kind of letting off a marine flare, which is pretty dumb because the place we were at kind of had a view of all of Sydney. 
And so, like, if anyone's going to... Like, marine flares are built to be able to be seen. And so, I was there. I didn't stop them. I didn't... I was, I was doing a ministry apprenticeship at the time. I was alongside them. I just thought, I'll, I'll let them do it. And there was part of me that was like, yeah, this is cool. And I can stand on the sidelines. I didn't do it. But I was kind of... I was kind of enjoying it. I wanted to be doing that as well. And I knew it was wrong. And anyway, so we did it. It was like, ha, ha, ha. Up the road we went. Uh, and as we're doing that, a police car comes down the road. You're like, how did they find us? <laughs> you just lit off a marine flare, you idiots. <laughs> anyway, so all the other guys I was with, quality, quality friends of mine, bolt into the bush. Like, it's gone. I'm like, and I'm like, I've got nothing to hide. And I'm like, I wonder, they, they wouldn't have seen the flare. So I went up to the police. And I'm like, did you guys let off a marine flare? And I'm like, well, I, I didn't. Uh, he was like, oh, what's your name? And I'm like, oh, it's Rowan. He's like, where's your wallet? I said, I actually don't have it. Right. And then, yeah, she has no joy in unrighteousness. Now, the way that story ended was everyone thought that I knew the policeman, so all my mates came out of the bush, and then they all talked to us and wrote all their names down. And then at the end, we were like, yeah, it's, it's his bucks party. And the policeman just went, oh, it's his bucks party? Oh, don't worry about it. Have a great night. And that was it. <laughs> But with God, there is always justice. (laughs) Unrighteousness never gets off scot-free. Someone always has to pay when it comes to God. And Jesus has done that for us. He paid the price for us. So don't enjoy unrighteousness. Don't link in with others. That is not loving. No, love rejoices in the truth. So often, I find myself wanting to be a people pleaser, to please others. To kind of have them like me. And so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll hold back on, on something or I'll feel a desire to hold back on some truth rather than say the truth. You can't love others and be a people pleaser. Can't do it. True love rejoices in the truth. It speaks the truth. The truth in love, but it always speaks the truth. It doesn't hold back. It rejoices in truth, no matter what that means for us. It bears all things. It believes. This idea of believing is not like the idea of it, it's gullible. It just believes all things. Oh, okay, cool. And that's not love. What it's talking about there is it, it's a generousness. It's an openness to listen. It's when someone comes and says, look, I'm actually really sorry. We don't go, no, you're not. We go, okay, I'll treat you with a generous assumption that you actually mean what you're saying. An openness to listen, no matter how many times we've been hurt before, how often they've said wrong things or done wrong things or hurt us or hurt others, no matter how big that hurt is, we always need to be ready to believe them at their word. We speak the truth in love. We're not gullible. But there's an openness and a generousness. We need to not be cynical. Whatever, they don't really mean it. How do we know their motives? We don't. Love believes all things. It's not sarcastic. It doesn't make fun at other people's expense. So often, I'm both cynical and sarcastic. My immediate response is, yeah, right, and then I want to make some joke that's, that's sarcastic, and it's always, nearly, at someone else's expense. I'm going to stop that. It's not loving. So when I, when I make sarcastic jokes, especially if they're at your expense, go, hey, I really feel loved by that, Rowan. And I'll be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Love hopes. It hopes for what is best. It doesn't write people off saying, you've done this so many times before, you'll never get better. You're a lost cause. Love love hopes for what 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 is good. Even when we've been disappointed by repeated personal abuses, 
Love is always ready to give an offender a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. A man comes to Jesus in Matthew 18. How many times must I forgive? He says, not seven times, but 77 times. In other words, just keep forgiving. Keep forgiving. Again, that doesn't mean we don't change the way we treat that person. I'm not going to lend you money anymore, but we're going to work through this. But I forgive you. I will bear the cost. Even when evidence pushes you to think the, the adverse about what that person thinks, love hopes for the best. It wants the best. And when hopes are repeatedly disappointed, love is courageous because it waits. It waits for the day that they actually get it right. And love endures. Similar to long-suffering. It endures all things. It endures the tired person, the hurt person, the grumpy person, the busy person. Love endures whatever is going on. There is no point when love can be excused from the table of my life. I can't go, look, there's just lots going on right now. I just can't be loving to you. I don't have time to love. I'm too busy. There's too much happening here. I'm too hurt. It's too sad. No, love can never be excused. Let me chat to the guys for a bit. I think for guys, blocked goals or frustrations really get to us. There's something going on. It's like, ah, oh, I want to see this happen. I'm really frustrated. I'm not going well at uni or this thing got a bad mark or this job's knocking me back. And there's a temptation for us as guys to be like, oh, I'm so frustrated with that. And so kind of walk around like Wreck-It Ralph and just be grumpy at everything and be like, shut up. Look, this is going bad at work, all right? I've just had a hard day. Give me some slack. I don't need to love you right now. No. Love does not have an off switch. It should not have an off switch ever. Love is always on. And for the ladies, I want to chat to you. And I'm scared at this moment. (laughs) And I'd never dare to try and understand the complexities of the female beauty and wonder that God has made you. Okay, just let me say that. But you'll see where I'm going to go in a second. (laughs) PMS is not a get out of jail free card when it comes to love. It isn't. Yeah, I understand. Well, I don't understand. I've been told by those I trust uh, that that's hard, that there's times of of hurt and pain and aching and all sorts of stuff going on. But it doesn't mean we can switch off love. It's not an excuse to say, ah, I'm I'm all right, just to go rampant and rampage and just be like, wow, crazy. I understand there's physiological things going on, but it does not excuse us turning off love. For any of us, no matter what is going on. Because love is what we need to express. Now, as you go through that list, I want you to think about for a moment what someone would be like who loved like that. What would they be like to be around? Someone who lived in all those ways all the time. I'm like, man, I want to be around that person. I want to be that person, right? How great would that be to be like that? such an attractive way of living. It's attractive because it describes Jesus. That is what life is meant to be. That is what Jesus is like. He's the one who always loved. He laid down his life. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He was the creator of all things. Everything was made through him, for him, and by him, and yet he came and willingly died. He he enabled his creation 
to hammer his arms into, into a cross. He sustained the person's heartbeat while he was hammering the nails through his hand because he loved him. In the middle of the pain and excruciating reality of the, the wrath of God he's about to face, what does he say when they're hurling insults, when they're provoking him from below, when he could have you know, called down at that moment 10,000 legion of angels and just kind of wiped them all out and gone, I'll show you. What does he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He is love. Jesus is so attractive. Jesus is the model of what a true human should look like. Jesus is the one who has died in our place so that we can have life. Tonight, if you are here checking out Jesus, I hope you see how great he is, how much he loves you. And you would walk away from tonight, not thinking, oh, so I just need to love to, to be good enough for him. But that I'd walk away from tonight going, oh, I'm so thankful that he loved me. See, his love for us is very different from our love for so many others. Let me kind of put what I think is the typical guy's view. When a guy says that he loves a girl, what he usually means is there's part of something about that girl that he finds lovely. Something about her that he really likes. And so there's something there that he's like, wow, I find you lovely. And so I love you because I find you lovely. You're lovable, right? But God is so different. God's love for us isn't because there's anything good in us. God's love comes from himself. He loves us because he chooses to love us. God loves what is unlovely. Me and you. People who are living their lives, taking swings at him, saying, I don't need you. No offense. I don't want you. But he still loves us. Jesus died knowing that we didn't treat him as we ought while we were still his enemies. The biggest mistake for us in thinking through love tonight, we'll be walking away thinking the way to be right with God is to really try hard to love him. To kind of get up all my courage and energy and be like, right, I'm just going to be the most loveliest lover that I can be in every area in life and that'll make me right before God. But no. No, we love because he first loved us, says John. We love because he's loved us and he's forgiven us. And so we're free not to earn our way to God's love, but to live in response to God's love. He's loved me and so therefore I can love others. I'm freed from having to earn it because I've been loved by God. If you want to experience the love of Jesus, I want to encourage you tonight. Come to him and ask him to forgive you for the way that you've treated him. Come to him tonight and ask him to say, help me to live your way because you've loved me so much. Come to him and say, help me to love others in response to your love for me. And shape the way I live by your way. It would also be a mistake to think that we grow in love by our own strength. It would be a mistake to walk out of these doors tonight and go, right, as I go home, I'm just going to write a list of all the areas that I need to love more in. I'm just going to pump them up and love more. Uh, Because we can't. We're not like that. We don't just naturally love others. Not the way God does. No, the way that we love others is by God the Spirit. And Him working in us to shape us and mold us to be more like Jesus. To help us to get this and to impress His Word on our lives so we do change. Being shaped and molded into the way God wants us to be. Yes, we cooperate, but it is God's work by His Spirit through His Word. Remember, we have a God who longs for us 
to ask him to make us more like Jesus. He's just waiting. He's waiting for you to say, Father, help me to love you more. Father, let your spirit shape me through your word and what love looks like. Father, show me ways that I haven't been loving and by your spirit, help me to love and not be a clanging gong. So this week, I've decided to make it a commitment for the rest of this year and maybe beyond to pray daily that God would grow me in love. I think that's here. We're going to see in a moment why that's so important. But I'd love you to to join with me. Sure, you can pray for me. I need it. But to join with me in praying that God would help you grow in love, that his spirit would shape and mold you to, to, to show you where you lack love and to ask God to grow you. Why don't you join me in that? Be bold, be outrageous. Ask God to shape you to be more like Jesus in the way you love. But why is love so important? Why is love the greatest? Point three, if you're following along. Most things in life don't last very long. I don't know if you've noticed that. I want you to think back um, to the best Christmas present you can ever remember getting. Okay, everyone think. What's the best Christmas present? Or one of the best, so you don't have to, you know. Best Christmas present you can ever remember getting. All right, put your hand up now if that thing you got you still have and it is completely intact and still working the way it was when it was given to you. Hands up. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Are those people who got their hands up? Was the Christmas present Jesus? Just want to check. <laughs> Just checking. They don't last. The presents we get, they don't last very long. They barely make it to next Christmas. You know, you buy some new clothes and what is it with clothes always shrinking? I hate that. They always get smaller, don't they? And you're kind of like, why don't these clothes fit me anymore? What is wrong with them? Why do they do that? They're, they're just, things don't last. So it is with the gifts God has given you and me. We can be all excited about these gifts that he's given us to serve the church with, but here Paul says they don't last. Every gift God gives has a use-by date. But not love. Love endures forever. Look at verse 8. Love never ends. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they'll come to an end. For languages or tongues, they will cease. For knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. The gifts God has given us, right? They're for here and now. They're for building one another up. They're for using to point people to Jesus so they might see him and trust him and serve him. But they will end. Because when Jesus comes back, we will know fully. We will, be, we will know him as we are now fully known by him. But love crosses through that barrier. Love never ends. It is eternal. It lasts forever. So Paul then uses this illustration, too, actually, of, of a child and a mirror. He says, verse 11, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish things aside. What's he saying? He's saying that children are impressed by the temporary. So if you go to my kids and you say, all right, I'm going to give you an option right now. You can have a full thing of fairy floss or you can have a diamond that's that big. What do you want? Nine out of ten times, they're going to go, give me the fairy floss. You're like, but that's just, you're going to eat it and that's it. 
I remember having the Fairy Force uh, discussion recently with Ethan. I shouldn't have said his name. Anyway, imagine I didn't say that. With one of our children. Anyway, and he's like, I'm like, dude, it's just sugar, like concentrated even more with more sugar in it than puffed up with air and you're eating sugar and air. He's like, yeah, but it's so yummy. He's looking at me with his big eyes going, oh, can I have more? I'm like, no, you've had half this packet. You probably don't need it anymore. You're going to be sick. But dad, it, it's just so good. It's like, that's what he lives for. He kind of took it into the kitchen. He's like, I'm following me. He's like, I want sugar. This is amazing. I love this. You know, but he eats it and he feels sick. But he, the next day he'll do it again. And you're like, what is wrong? You know, have you ever experienced, have you had the experience where you were mesmerized by something when you were young? And as you've grown a bit older, you're not impressed with it at all anymore. Uh, for me, growing up, I loved uh, Porsches, the cars. I, I don't know what it was. There's something about them I loved. I used to collect a little scrapbook of Porsches. I, I'd get through this, this um, thing called the Trading Post, and this other one called Just Cars that have pictures. It wasn't on the internet at that point. Um, well, the internet did exist, just saying. Um, <laughs> and I'd cut out all the pictures, and i have all the different models, and I had this little book that I would categorize them into different years, and I'd know how they'd work and what, what motor they had and, and kind of the pros and the cons of each one. I just loved Porsches. I kind of like, this is, they're a really cool car, and I, I love them. But now, I kind of see one go this, down the street. I'm like, wow, imagine the maintenance cost on that. <laughs> Why would you ever borrow money on a depreciating asset? You're borrowing, paying more. It's going down in value. I don't get that. That's so stupid. The moment you take it out of the showroom, it's going to lose like a third of its value. And you're like, good investment. Like, what is with that? Now, as an adult, I'm like, what was wrong with you? Why, why were you thinking about that? But now, as an adult... When I see a friend uh, be able to forgive another friend or a spouse for the hurt that they've caused or the way that they've betrayed them, and I see that betrayed friend forgive them, and that impresses me. <laughs> I don't know how hard that is to see someone love like that. When I, when, I, when I see someone stand alongside someone else, when it doesn't bring them any benefit and walk beside someone that is kind of taking lots of their time and, and stand alongside them as they go through trials and hardship, but they do it because they love them. I'm like, that is impressive. They gain nothing from this, yet they still do it. Uh, my first job out of uni was for an architect's firm. Uh, and I remember the day that one of the ladies uh, came to work uh, and she was just in tears. And uh, everyone was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And the big boss came in, like the, the head architect guy. Right? It, was, it was a larger firm, about 50 employees, so lots of people there. The big boss was there, and he kind of came in, and he said, oh, what happened? And she said, oh, look, I got mugged on the way to work. And they took my, my handbag and my stuff. And he was literally, he just cared for her. Now, we had massive deadlines on, things that had to happen. And she was one of the leads on one of these projects that she had to do stuff. He needed her time. But you know what he did? He said, look, just take the rest of today off. I know there's lots on. I want you to just to go home. He said, I want you to go home and, uh, and I want you to buy just a new handbag and replace everything that was in your handbag. And he pulled out his wallet and he gave her $1,000. And said, just, and it was his money. It wasn't work's money. He didn't have to do that. <laughs> but he did because he loved it. And I just went, wow, that impresses me. That impresses me. Love is what matters. For love will continue in the age to come. Do not be impressed like a child with the things of pop and bubble and fairy floss, of gifts, and be like, whoa, look what they can do. Be impressed with the way God works in people to love others even when it hurts. 
The other picture that he uses here is a picture of, of a mirror. He says, for now we see indistinctly, verse 12, as in a mirror. But then we will see face to face. I think this is a really helpful illustration. I, I, I think it works like this, though. In the first century, maybe their mirrors weren't as good as they are today, right? Because he says, then, um, so now we see like in a mirror. And I'm like, when I look in the mirror, I think it's fairly accurate. I think I kinda, I'm seeing my face fairly closely. But, but maybe then mirrors weren't as good. Maybe they're kind of a little bit foggy. A bit like when you know, the bathroom's got mist on it and you've got to kind of wipe it. And you're like, oh, I look like an angel and kind of glowing. Like, no, that's not real. You know, maybe it was like that. It was kind of not quite right compared to when you see someone in their real face and flesh. So I'm like, what's a, what's a modern kind of example of that? The best I could come up with, it's kind of like Skype, right? You ever have a Skype date with someone and you kind of catch up with them on Skype? You can see their face. You can hear them talking. They're, they're there. It's like you're in the room. We do it with my parents all the time. And you get to, the kids get to see their grandparents and they chat. They're in Australia. We're over here. But there's something so much different when I actually see my parents at the airport. I can come up and see them face to face and be like, hey, mom and dad, how are you? So different than on Skype. He says, now, this time of gifts that you've got, the way you've been given them, it's kind of like that time on Skype where there's good things and you're going to use them for that. But when Jesus comes back, it'll be like, whoa, no need for the gifts. Jesus is here. I just want to love others and keep loving. Then we'll see him face to face. The gifts, they come and go. They they have a use-by date. They're here for the here and now. When Jesus comes back, we won't need them anymore because he is here. Think about it this way. You will never, ever, ever have to listen to another sermon from me again once Jesus comes back. Right? How great is that? You're like, oh, sure, they're helpful at the moment. Maybe, maybe not. But when Jesus comes back, you're like, shut up, Rowan. Like, I'm listening to him. Like, this is awesome. That is what it is like. Are we going to be like, oh, yes, well, I've got the gifts of tongues and prophecy and healing. You're like, whatever, Jesus is here. (laughs) What? But love is not like that. Verse 13. Now, these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So then what do we make of these gifts? Everyone comes to this passage and they're like, but it's all about the gift section. We've not talked about gifts much at all. I want to say... Come back next week. We will talk through um, the gifts, these, these miraculous gifts in a kind of a deeper sense. We'll have question time over next week and the week after. So I'd love you to kind of be thinking about those. Write down your questions. But what do we understand from this part of the passage about these gifts that were so eagerly desired by the Corinthian church? And that Paul then goes on at great lengths to show will end. Prophecies, whatever they are, and we'll see this in the next two weeks, prophecies end. Prophecies will end. Now, some say that prophecy has already ended. I'm not going to look at what it is just yet, next week. Some say prophecies and these miraculous gifts, they've ended. It's kind of people who are in what you call a cessationist camp. These miraculous gifts have stopped now in this age. But I've got to say from this chapter, I can't see any biblical warrant for that. The time that these gifts end is the time that Jesus comes back. Uh, The time that they end is when we will see him face to face. The time that um, we will know fully just as we are known. God knows me completely. I do not know him completely yet. That happens when Jesus comes back. I'm pretty convinced from this passage that, that it can only be speaking at this point of the return of Christ in the new creation is when these gifts cease. This passage is not saying they cease now in this time. 
So what does that mean? Well, it means two things. I don't think that there is any biblical warrant from this chapter for banning tongues and prophecy on the grounds that Scripture says that they'll end, these gifts will end early. I don't think we can hold that from this chapter. I don't think we can say from Scripture that these gifts have ceased. Uh, The argument for that cessationist view actually comes more from a logical application of what we see in Scripture and also an observation of what happens throughout history. Uh, And I want to say that that argument for cessation is not unbiblical. I'm just saying it's not a biblical one. (laughs) It's not unbiblical. This passage doesn't say that they must continue right up until the day Jesus returns, these particular gifts. It says God will distribute the gifts as as he requires and determines. Uh, But the argument for them ceasing is not a biblical one, but a historical and logical one. We must at least say that. Secondly, and I think more profoundly, here we see Paul put love and gifts in opposition to one another. He puts them in this passage. He says, love continues through the coming of Christ, but gifts will cease. See, they're not the same. There's something that that is different. They're in opposition. And that means that the gifts, unlike love, they're not an appearance of the eternal in time. Some people, they kind of go, look, the gifts, these miraculous gifts are showing that the, the, the supernatural, the eternal has broken into our time now and that, that, that this is what will, will be in the future and so they're breaking in now. But Paul says, no, they'll stop. The thing that will be in the future, the sign of the truly spiritual church, the truly heavenly church is not gifts, but love. For love will continue to the end. The charismatic gifts are not a taste of heaven but tools to be used in love and with love to point people to the love of God. What makes the church like heaven is not the expression of gifts, tongues, prophecy, healing, giving, teaching, any gift, whether it be seemingly miraculous or not. What makes the church like heaven is the expression of love within the body that God has gathered together. That is the fruit of the Spirit. That is a spiritual life. We get so caught up on the gifts and miss the love. And Paul's like, do you not see Corinthian church? Do you not see Rowan? (laughs) Love. The greatest evidence that heaven has invaded earth, that the spirit has been poured out on us, that we're part of God's kingdom, is Christian love. So how are you going at loving one another? How am I going at loving you? (laughs) Help me to love you as you help one another and I help you to love each other. How are we going at that? Do we see greatness as gifts, as giftedness, or greatness as worthfulness, as loving? Who is the greatest? Well, the greatest is Jesus, the one who loves perfectly. And all those united to him by faith who are seeking to express their love for him and one another through God's spirit molding and shaping them. That is what greatness is, serving God because he has served us. Tonight, as God is speaking to us, showing us the importance of love, we need to ask, where is he prompting you to change? How is he molding and shaping you to change in the way that you live or love others? 
in what you value and what you don't. I just want to give us a moment just to ponder that question. And a moment to think, maybe write down here, what is God saying to you tonight? There's a box at the bottom of your outline. What have you heard God say to you today? What is God's spirit molding and shaping in you tonight to change, to do more of, to think about? Let me give you a minute to think through that. Just quietly to reflect now before we go on with the business of life and justify away the changes in love we might need to make. Let me give us a moment. before we walk out tonight why don't we together as God's church actually pray and ask God to help us to change I thought it'd be great why don't a few of us a number of us just pray now I'll lead I'll start and just call out and ask God to help you to change help us to change to confess ways we haven't loved to come before him he's the one who's going to change us and ask him to change us and help us to be more loving will you do that with me Let's pray. Father God, we are sorry that although you have loved us immensely, we think that life is about loving ourselves at times. Help each of us to see where we don't love you. Amen.
Father, it feels as though we could spend the whole night (laughs) confessing the ways we've failed to love as you've loved us, expressing the joys of how great it is to be loved by you. We pray that we would not stop now. As we sing and celebrate in what your son has, what you have done in your son in bringing us into relationship with you and forgiving us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. We pray that we would keep speaking to one another and to you about the love that we have. For those of us that you've pricked areas in our lives that we need to go and apologize for, we need to go and reconcile to with others. We pray by your spirit, you give us the strength to both do that and also listen to the apologies of others who come to us and, and bring those things up. Father, we ask that as we try and express the love you've shown us to one another, that you'd point us again and so clearly to the love of the cross, where Jesus poured out himself for us, where he bled for us. We pray that we might walk away from this passage today with a clear picture of the love you have for us in your Son. And you would grow in us, in each of us, a desire to love you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.